I'm David Legere of Woodhall Press, and I'm joined today by Nick Mancuso, author of Fever. Now, Nick, uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and what Fever's about. Yeah, um, sure. Well, first of all, it's so great to be here. Um, you know, it's so fun doing all these things like this. It's like so odd, but... Um... <laughs> Anyway, um, so I'm a writer and essayist. I live in Maine. Um, I went to school with Dave um, and uh, a long time ago. And um, so Fever, um, which I have a copy, I can hold up as I talk. Isn't that nice? I can actually like hold it. Um, Fever is a novel, obviously, about um, suburban Connecticut and a perfect suburban Connecticut suburb where um, everything is absolutely perfect. Um, on the surface. And as we all know, you know, when places are perfect like that, uh, very often they are not. Um, and so Fever is actually the story about a summer um, where there is, um, you know, there's, it's over the course of one month, really, um, when it's so, so, so hot. And over the course of this one summer, these four people's lives intersect and collide and smash into each other and, and um, with devastating consequences. So um, tragedy abound. Um, and uh, yeah, that's kind of the, it's not really a good way to describe it, but it is what it is. It's a good way. So I, what I'm always curious about, right, whenever I read a proposal, when I came across Fever, I'm, it's the inspiration behind the main characters, right? What drives us? Uh, you know, what inspired these, you know, four main characters of yours? Yeah. Um, so first of all, the whole place is, you know, you say, you know, everybody always says, like, write what you know, right? And so I'm from, you know, a very perfect Connecticut suburban town. Um, Dorset, Connecticut in my book is not Madison. It could be, um, but it also could be New Canaan and Glastonbury. And um, so um, the four main characters, we follow two men and two women. Um, and um, it's, um, so, you know, I think all of them are pieces of myself. Um, so we'll just, I guess, go in order. Um, Neil um, is a uh, early 30 something who's lost um, in his sense of direction. His father passes away early on in the novel. Um, he wasn't particularly close to him, but he sort of is experiencing loss and feeling what that feels like and trying to deal with sort of a breakup that happened a couple years before. Um, uh, Amanda is um, a white woman, and I'll talk more about this in a minute, um, who is, um, in a trapped in a really really difficult marriage um which on the surface she works so hard to make everything seem like it's good and everything is is like positive but um the reality is it's actually um it's actually really dysfunctional and and frankly deeply abusive um and then um there's carla who is a woman of color who um has moved to this neighborhood with her husband um she's got an exciting job teaching at yale so it does place it in connecticut um mm -hmm. and moves to this this perfect suburban neighborhood um and you know writing her um you know so i wrote this book five six years ago um and you know the world five six years ago was was different from the world today and even different from the world of a month ago um mm -hmm. and so I wanted to make sure that if I was going to tell a story that that had at least a quarter of it um, follow a woman of color, that I did my research. So I spent two years um, reading fiction exclusively mm -hmm. by women of color. Um, and then um, I took a crack at it um, and um, hired a sensitivity reader as well. Um, and that sort of piece is for this, this piece. And, you know, there's like a rolling conversation about this right now. And, um, you know, I don't know that I would do it again. Um, and I definitely am trying to make sure that I'm not taking up space that somebody else needs um, and can and doesn't have access to. Um, but um, her character was definitely the hardest to write. But, you know, the reality is, is that even as white conforming as she and her husband were, I mean, in fact, they had more prestigious jobs, more prestigious education than 
the rest of the white people in the neighborhood um, and they still are not accepted and there's still microaggressions and there's still discomfort and there's still uh, frankly racism. And so um, writing Carlo was actually um, something that, you know, was, was really hard. And, and um, you know, I don't know if I got it right. I certainly, you know, I, I certainly tried my best to, to do justice for it. Um, but yeah, and then um, the last character um, is perhaps, and this is perhaps a little too revealing, um, sort of a, a thumbnail sketch of, of myself at, uh, at 17. Um, although, I, you know, the situations are very different. Katie doesn't have a dad in the picture. I very much have a dad and a mom and, you know, um, and a bunch of siblings. Um, and he's trying to sort of find himself as sort of he enters his last year of high school and sort of as his friends are starting to get ready to do the college thing, you know, what is his future hold? And so over the course of these four weeks, these people all intersect and collide with each other. And um, yeah, that's kind of a really long winded, but it's four characters. So you kind of have to like go all the way around. And I like how you, you embrace the fact that one character right, is modeled off you because Everybody writes, and, and every, I, I see this across the board. Everybody always says, "Oh, a character's just nothing like me." And then you read it, and you're like, "Pretty sure this is a little, a little similar." Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I like the, because we write from what we know a lot of times, right? Uh, you write what you know, and um, I think that's good. So now that we know what Fever's about, you know, why was it this story that you had to tell? You know, like it's a major undertaking to take on a, a book. Uh, you know, a lot of times people start it, they stop, they come back to it. But you did it. You published it. It's a it's a wonderful book. Check it out if you haven't if you haven't read it already. But why did you write it? That's a good question. Um, so I grew up in in this place very much like this, um, and the reality is that you know I think a lot of these perfect suburban places have this um, this this fallacy that this is a an amazing place. And so I originally wanted to write um, sort of a noir novel, right? Um, a traditional um, noir, uh, Chinatown, um, you know, detective smoking in the rain type deal. Um, but I sort of realized how that that phrase, the term noir can apply to a bunch of different pieces of fiction. Um, and um, I can actually use a prop. Um, Roxanne Gay's novel right here, An Untamed State, um, is like a perfect noir novel. And it's not about detectives and crime fighting and, um, you know, smoking uh, trench coats in the rain, you know, that's not. And so it's, noir is sort of something that you take something that should be very beautiful and render it very darkly. And so, um, you know, these suburban neighborhoods are these supposed to be these perfect places, but there's a lot of loss and there's a lot of tragedy and there's a lot of lies and, and, um, and, uh, and, and hidden deceit and that sort of thing. Um, in these places. And so I wanted to sort of try and, and tell that story um, and, and sort of, cause I, so growing up, I know always noticed there was this big effort to always make sure that everything looked wonderful. Um, and it's even part of my, my cohesiveness. I mean, and I'll be transparent with you. This is not my usual backdrop, but I want to make sure that it looks good for what I'm doing. So I put on, I put it in front of my bookshelf. Um, it's like, this is on a stool with like five books on it. I can show you guys later, but um, you know, and because you want to make sure that, because perception is, is a lot of things. And so um, that is a huge philosophy of these spaces. And so I wanted to make sure that um, I captured that because I think, you know, so it's funny because I was talking to someone and um, it just, you know, I was in a, like a work context and I said, yeah, so I'm from Madison, Connecticut. She's like, I love Madison, Connecticut. And I said, <laughs> you do? She's like, oh, what a perfect little seaside town. It's so beautiful and serene and bucolic. And it's so like, mellow and nice and I was like uh-huh and then I she's like so what are you doing I was like oh, I wrote a novel and she said what's it about and I was like 
it's Halloween, Connecticut, and maybe it's not as bucolic and perfect as um, as everybody thinks. So um, yeah, so that was kind of a that was kind of the inspiration for why I wrote this. And I just started like, I, you know, these characters go through different things and experience different things, and over the course of like these weeks, I there's so many little tiny things in here that like I've borne witness to that are just like, like somebody, you know, um, somebody talking shit about somebody who serves wine in the wrong shaped glass. Like that is a thing. Like people get upset about that. Like what? Like, well, this is obviously a white wine. Why don't you put that in a red wine glass? What? In what universe? So um, that's definitely something that is uh, like a big piece of it. So I love that you talked about that and you're a first time author and you've, you've succeeded, right? It's so hard to, to break through, right? That's, that, that's the entry point. I think even a lot of the people that are, are, are joining and watching are aspiring writers. Um, mm -hmm. So what was your tip? You know, like what, what advice do you have to get published and what worked for you on your journey? Now, full disclosure, uh, Nick was first published by Magnolia Press um, which went on slightly a um, little harder times. And I just, I said, Nick, we need your book. And I, I pulled it in, but you were originally published with Magnolia Press. So what was your, uh, how did you do it? Like, what, what, what can you say to other authors out there? Yeah, um, so uh, I'm going to recommend something absolutely terrible, um, which is get on Twitter. Um, Twitter is a cesspool of awful um, and just the worst, worst, worst place full of terrible, terrible people. But I originally got my first offer because of because of Twitter. So um, on Twitter, uh, there's these pitch contests. And so I wrote a pitch about fever. And um, this is actually kind of a terrible thing that I shouldn't be telling you, Dan, but I'm going to. Um, is <laughs> a couple of years ago, I um, was working on, I was pitching the novel that was my um, thesis from Fairfield. And, uh, you know, wasn't getting a ton of success, was getting some hits, was getting some, and it was one of those pitch contest days. And so I pitched, um, I was pitching that book and seeing what you do. And basically you write a tweet that sums up the entire plot of the book, you throw certain hashtags on it. And on certain days and times, um, people go through and they, um, they go through agents and editors like it. And if they like the pitch, that means they want to see it. And so um, I was pitching this other book and I was having my uh, medium success. I was like having like, okay, like, yeah, a little bit of success here, you know, three or four hits. I was like, this is fine. And it was like, getting at the end of the day, it was like four o'clock and I was in process of writing fever. I had like three chapters written. And I said, just as market research, let me just like write a tweet, yeah. which is what you're not supposed to do. You're only supposed to pitch books that are done and ready to go. And so I was like, uh, and I wrote one and I got like 64 hits in like 20 minutes. People wanted to read it. I was like, oh, wow, a lot going on. And then out of that, several people wanted to um, request the whole thing, which is hard to do when you haven't written it. Um, so I like called out of work for a week and just like finished getting it out. And um, none of those people, obviously that didn't work out because it was not done and it was a first draft. And um, but then, you know, a few months later, another pitch contest came up um, and the editor from Magnolia um, uh, hit like on it. And um, we started corresponding and she liked it and said she wanted to make sure that she could get it. And I said, all right, then there you go. Um, and then Magnolia, I think it, they were closing, they're running a business. There was a bunch of, I mean, um, there was a bunch of pieces to it. And uh, I was so grateful to get your call because, you know, they weren't really, they weren't doing the kind of marketing I was hoping for. And, um, and there were a bunch of pieces. And so I was really, really excited to, to, 
joined the Woodhall family. And it's been awesome ever since. Uh, we, we joined up in December and I think it's been fun. I think it's, you know, hopefully we sold some books. I'm waiting for my book to report. I won't get it for another couple of weeks, but I'm, I, think we're, I think we're doing okay. It's going well. Uh, you know, and I love that you bring up the fact that you did slightly unconventional marketing of yourself, right? You used Twitter and you created a product that didn't exist. And you actually read that more and more. If you, you know, a lot of these um, self-help books, right? And these business books always talk about um, selling your product first to engage, to first determine whether or not there's a product. Now, a good example of this is uh, people will sometimes create a website, right, for a book that doesn't even exist. Beautiful cover, beautiful cover copy. I mean, it's it's perfect. And then what they do is gauge whether or not people even are interested, and then they actually create the product. I'm not advocating that, but I do I do see that there is a, a method behind gauging whether or not, with a little bit of market research. Um, you want to just invest this time into it. So that, that was good. I like that. And, and honestly, I've been doing that sort of like, in a subtle way with some people, um, you know, because I, I sort of have three projects right now that I'm, um, I have no idea which one you guys are going to see next. Uh, but um, <laughs> I do have sort of three projects right now that I'm, one is further ahead than the other two. But, um, um, and I, I'm kind of gauging as I talk to people. Um, and the biggest thing, honestly, a thing that you can do that you shouldn't feel weird about is like, um, I talk to readers, like my friends who are like real readers, like real readers, like people who like actually read a ton of things. Um, and I float ideas by them. Um, like I was like, is this something you would read? Do you want to read this? And I see what they say. And a lot of times it's like, no, no one wants to read that. Put that away. And, um, you know, other times it's like, yes, write this now. So um, that's a good thing too for market research. Just talk to your friends who are good readers. I'm glad you brought that up. You know, how do you engage an audience during a reading, especially as, as you're online right now? So is there um, a, a technique, you know, how do you keep readers invested? How do you engage the audience? How do you keep them present? Yeah. I mean, what's your thought on that? Yeah, so I've done a couple of events. Um, we had our launch for this book at RG Julia, which was so much fun. Um, and they're my favorite little bookstore, I love them. Um, and. One thing I found myself doing, and maybe this was because I was a little anxious beforehand, so like maybe had a glass of wine before I went up, and um, I yeah. found myself in the middle of the reading um, doing voices <laughs> and mannerisms <laughs> for characters, and I was like, why am I doing this? But I couldn't stop myself, and people were laughing and engaging with it, and I was like, oh, okay, right. um, which is yeah. not something I, I, I don't have a talent for that, I, I don't think I can do I don't think I should do voices and things but I definitely found myself like you know there's this um there's this like very like toxic masculine broy neighbor dad man who like um you know when his lines came up like I delivered them like this and I was like what is wrong with me but people thought it was fine and that's also how I imagine he sounds and so um, yeah. um the other thing too is is make your reading selection ahead of time um you know um I learned a lot through at Fairfield going to all of those great readings and all of those and I think I saw Baron Worms are joined here and Baron is is such a great reader um and it's you know mm -hmm. I, I've I've seen a lot of um you want to make sure that it's contained you want to make sure that it it has a beginning a middle and an end right that like it all goes together. And so um, like, while without requiring too much backstory, I've seen readings where people will be like, okay, so here's the story. Uh, the boy wizard is at a school and so far he's made one friend, but not the other friend. And the teacher, one teacher hates him, but there's a wizard who wants to kill him. I'm like, that is way too much backstory. Like you gotta kind of like, because people, the idea is that when you do these readings is that people will then read the book. So um, yeah. one of my big things is I, I always try to make sure that, that 
I pick a section that's enclosed. Um, so, you know, those of you who've read Fever and know it, um, I usually read Carla's section of um, the uh, garden party um, because we see this garden party a couple different times. You see it two different ways um, because we have four, four narrators so we can follow four people. And um, yeah, so always pick something that has like a beginning, middle and an end, like a short story within the novel itself. Exactly, self-contained. Yeah. And, and you know, I would add the, when you were doing those impressions, you were vulnerable. And I think that actually seems to work really well uh, you know, I, I, I do a little bit of teaching and I, you know, I've been observing other teachers and how they engage with classrooms and it's kind of lowering the walls and stop trying to pretend to be who you think you're supposed to be. And if yeah. you just kind of like fall into it, it's, it seems, seems to work better, but engaging in 2020, right? Radically different from 2019. Um, do you have any marketing suggestions? Like is Twitter still as valid? Are you finding Twitter still as valid in 2020? I'm seeing... A book trailer, little snippets using TikTok, Instagram obviously has taken off in a big way. What What's your prediction for 2020 in marketing? Uh, yeah, I am not the right person to ask. Um, if only we had an <laughs> astrologer that we were friends with who could predict something for us. Um, but anyway, I think she's watching. But um, anyway, I think, um, you know, one of the things is, is that I... So I'm too old for TikTok, which I'm super grateful. Like my neighbor has Never a too old. No. <laughs> no, no, my neighbor has a has a 14 year old uh, daughter. We were all sitting around the other night, and I said, well, I don't understand TikTok, and she goes, You don't have to. And I was like, This is all I need. Is like, thank you, teenager, for telling me I don't have to learn this. Um, so I, you know, I think TikTok. I don't know where that's going to go or what that's going to be, but. Um, I do think um, Instagram is also really good. Um, Twitter is tough. I mean, I really don't, I mean, I recommend it, but I don't because oh, it is tough. Um, there are a yeah. lot of, lot of, I'll just say, there's a lot, lot of national. shouting in the wind, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're shouting in the wind. You gotta build a platform, which is a little bit harder to do. And, um, and there's a lot of like bad people. There's a lot of Nazis and faceless people and white nationalists. And like, and like, like when you post them, people yeah. come at you and like, yeah. People subtweet you. Like I've seen that. People like subtweet me, and I'm like, are they talking about okay. me? Are we like it's I, Twitter stuff? If you can stay in the writing community groups and stuff on Twitter, that feels a little safer. But even then, there's always like conflict, and it's always like very like yeah. Nah. So um, you know, Twitter. But I still think Instagram also is really good because um, mm -hmm. you can always see what people are reading, which is good. Um, you can always see what people are talking about. Um, you know, you can always, um, and, and the visual piece I think is nice as well. Um, yes. so, yeah, no, I, so mm -hmm. I definitely Instagram probably, I don't know, I'm really bad at the, the social media piece. I try and keep up, but I'm like, now I think I'm getting too old. I'm like, is this happening? Like, you're not, no, no, I'm older than you. See, never just, I always tell myself never too old. I, um, I think uh, it's actually shifting out a little social media and I think you're gonna see book clubs are gonna become even bigger. I hope so. Um, book clubs are really growing steam. I know a lot of people, you know, you're at home, it's a pandemic, you still wanna be social. I think uh, getting involved in book clubs could be really useful uh, in 2020 and beyond. Yeah. All right, so um, 2020, massively different year. Um, have you changed your approach to sales at all, right? Right now we mail copies. We do a lot of uh, catering to people that don't want to go to a bookstore. So we'll go ahead, we'll process your order and mail it ourselves. You know, we make sure all books wipe down. It's all COVID-19 you know, COVID free. Mm -hmm. So it's a slightly different process. Have you been changing your 
sales strategy? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, so I've definitely been dialing back the amount of promotional posts I've been doing, at least in the past few weeks. Not so much about coronavirus, but more about the revolution that's happening right now in our country. Um, because I think the last thing we need is like, one more white guy being like, buy my book, like in this climate. So I've been like, definitely for the past few weeks trying to like, dial it back, not do less like, you know, very, you know, do less hawking of it, um, just to be respectful of what uh, incredible change is happening right now. Um, but uh, I also started, this was before, um, before the, the movement um, was active in the past few weeks. Um, I started doing for folks who wanted signed copies of the book, um, yeah. sending uh, book plates, signed book plates. So like, yeah. um, you know, if somebody sends me a thing and says, I have a signed copy, I literally sent one out to like my like third cousin today. Because um, my father was like, he needs one, he needs a signed book plate. And I was like, all right, give me his address. And um, really easy. I just print them on stickers. I had a friend uh, who oh, yeah. may or may not be watching design it for me. Um, and I just, I just write a message and sign it. And it's like I held the book in my hands and signed it. And you stick it on the inside and there you go. Something cool that I've been seeing, uh, I had an author recently contact me and sent me uh, a, a CD of music she made to accompany the manuscript to listen. So it almost becomes like a cinematic experience. And the same author is working on a, a poetry collection and she records the poetry because the sound of her voice is so powerful. So that way, when you read the book, you can also listen to the CD of her reading it while you're reading it, right? So Whoa. there's some really clever things you can be doing uh, with audio. Um, and I, I saw a, a question from Maria uh, that about uh, book clubs and Woodhall uh, doesn't have a book club yet, but we have it in the works. We do have a podcast launching next week called Publish This. I'll mention it again at the end. And the book club will follow and a newsletter. So we're, we're ramping up all things for people to be at home and, and experience, uh, you know, I love that. I wish I, you know, I, who said it that, it was a Kurt Vonnegut who said, every writer wishes they were a musician. Um, and, um, you know, like I, uh, thankfully do not have that ability. Um, <laughs> well, you know, what? I, like, it would be interesting if you could uh, even record maybe some sample chapters in your voice, like read them, even put it on the Woodhall website, right? Like a sample, like listen to the reader, read the book a little bit. Absolutely. And then if people like it, well, then there's your podcast, you know, you read I, that, I, I'm kind of amenable to it. It's the, yeah, the, 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 <laughs> the, the singing and, uh, and the, the, the music part. Um, that is not something I can do. It's all right. So um, uh, looks like kind of we're approaching 1230. I, I'm going to kind of bring it to these three questions. Now, these are um, at, at the end of every uh, podcast episode, publish this first episode next week. Uh, we ask three questions. And first one I ask because I'm interested, coffee or tea? And I ask because I do coffee. I have friends, I'm just always interested because in the world of, of writers, there seems to be a strong divide. They don't really walk the line. It's coffee or tea. So are you coffee or tea? What do you think? Wine. Wine. My poor body. Um, yeah, uh, my poor body is like subjected to coffee until like noon. And then I drink nothing until five o'clock. And then it's time to uncork and so um wine is uh is the uh, no but but definitely coffee um tea i don't you know i i uh i like i like well coffee and wine kind of go together there's that there's that the darkness to it um and so that 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 works for me <laughs> all right uh next uh, a little bit more um 
one quote, motto, song that kind of gets you up every day, inspires you as a writer. You know, there's there's something, right? Um, for whatever reason, for years now, this has gone on for at least six years. When I start working really hard, I hear that song, taking care of business, in the back of my head. And it's like, it drives me bananas, but I also recognize it's my own internal song that's telling me I'm being productive. So what's your motto, song? What gets you going? Um, you know, writing, it's always, um, I just need loud music on to actually kind of, mm -hmm. the loud music distracts the, the other parts of my brain and lets the, the art part come forward. But um, my personal motto and my personal like um, philosophy and belief um, is actually a line from Star Trek, which will surprise no one. Um, I thought you were going to say uh, that. There's always one, and, but it's not a well-known yeah. one. Um, it was, it's yeah. that um, the best way to know yourself is to know others. Ooh, and I love, that's like been my core philosophy my whole life is like, the best way to understand myself is to know others. And and I, I couldn't believe how well like that summed it up and, it was like this, this like very tragic character, very sad and like, but like that was like her like enduring legacy. And I was like, that is such a thing. Like that's like, if I had to get a tattoo, which I am like never gonna get a tattoo because I'm not like brave enough. But um, you know, I, I, that would be a quote that I would consider because um, because I believe it. the best way to know yourself is to know others. That's good. Um, and last uh, before we depart is any final tips or advice for. Um, the viewers uh, listening, if, you know, as a writer, like any, any final thought? Yeah. Um, read everything. Read. read. Yeah. Um, I, uh, a, a good writer friend of mine, you know, when I was doing like a, an AMA and she was like, I asked the question, I was like, well, how do you, what do you do when you don't feel like it? Because everybody who does this knows that this is also, this is wonderful work and it's exciting work and it's great work. And it's also the worst work in the whole world. And so, when I don't feel it and I don't, and I'm not vibing it and it's not working. Um, I find that like, I, I just need to read more. I just need to spend more time reading, spend more time with good fiction. Um, so like, for example, with this new, this new book I'm working on one of, one of the new books, um, you know, I, uh, I, before I sit down, I always read a little bit of whatever, um, literary fiction I'm reading at the time because it's just going to be another literary fiction novel but um and so right now it's uh, conversations with friends by Sally Rooney um and so I like you know like read a little bit of that to like get in the vein and feel it and feel what's going on now she's like an absolute master like oh my god and so I'll I will never write that well um sorry to advance Dave um but um you know so that's definitely something is read as much as you can just read well, it uh this has been a pleasure. I've been here with Nick Mancuso of Fever. If you haven't read it, check it out. Uh, and stay tuned for the Publish This podcast uh, launching next week. And we'll continue to do these Instagram uh, lunchtime chats, uh, if not every week, at least every other week. So thank Love you for tuning in. Thanks for having me. This was great. Bye, everybody.